Truth News Network. A president responds to a critic. I don't want to hear any more of these lies about reckless spending. We're changing people's lives. Yeah. Gas at an all-time high, shortages in everything from construction supplies, hygiene products, to food? Well, as we all said more than a president ago, you can keep the change. And in a crisis, the first casualty is usually the truth. So strap in. You're with TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. You're with me, and thank you for being here today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hump Day. Yeah, this is the, uh, I think it's so. Is it this the last Hump Day of the month? No, 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 no. We've got another one next Wednesday. Hump Days are special. That means that you've worked hard, and you're halfway to the weekend. <laughs> you've earned that respite, so look forward to that. we got a lot of things you need to look forward with us today. And let me just say this. If you can't watch the entire show today or listen to the entire show today live, make sure you go back and grab it in the podcast format from Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and any other place where you get your podcast. Our show name is TNN Live. And just stick that in the search bar at these places and our show pops up. It's that ugly caricature of me. And uh, the very first show that pops up at the top in the index is the most recent. So you go backwards. And there are some shows, if you look down the calendar, the list of shows, you're going to want to go back and listen to at least part of. Mike Johnson, congressman of the 4th Congressional District, was with us early Monday morning. This Monday morning, if you missed that, it's at the top of the show in the 9 o'clock hour. So go grab the podcast. It's a great way to keep caught up. You know, there are so many moving parts in living in the United States of America today. It's really tough for us to stay on top of everything, all the news. And that's one reason why we are who we are. We grab the big stories of the day, and the next morning we bring them to you, including the ones that you missed that happened elsewhere on the globe overnight. Believe it or not, when you and I are asleep, things are still going on. Let's start right here today. We're going to dig into the latest debacle coming out of the Mar-a-Lago mess, the so-called raid that happened last week at the president's residence in Mar-a-Lago, the the club that he owns in uh, Palm Beach, Florida. We're going to get into that. But before we do, I want to point out a few things to you about what's going on. Have you noticed the last week or 10 days, we haven't heard any discussions about uh, inflation, about the flood of immigrants still coming across our southern border. In fact, one of our stories today will tell you just how many more have come in since mainstream media quit even talking about it. So we're not talking about inflation. We're not talking about the flood of illegals across our southern border. We're not talking about food shortages, which we continue to have. What's the government doing about that? Oh, and by the way, you know that little nation over in Ukraine, which isn't a little nation and it's very unimportant to anybody and everybody except the Biden family syndicate. Do you know how much money Joe Biden, as president, has sent to Ukraine and we're told that it's to help them beat the Russians. 
How much of that $13 billion now, $13 billion that Biden and the administration have sent to Ukraine, how much of that has ended up being on the battlefront? Nobody's asking the president that. He would probably tell you. And of course, his uh, secretary, press secretary, if she's asked in a press meeting, she would say, oh, you got to talk to the Pentagon about that. you got to talk to the Defense Department. And they're, they're not going to give you a straight answer. Ukraine has been known for decades as the most corrupt nation on the planet. You know, that's that place where Joe Biden didn't have any ties there. You know, Hunter was Hunter's son, who was the smartest man on the planet, according to his dad, the president. Hunter, for whatever reason or reasons, got a board spot on Burisma Holdings, the most illegal, it was really a front for illegal financial activities, and banks all across Europe wouldn't even do business with Burisma. Hunter Biden was getting 60 grand a month to serve on the board of directors. He had no history in oil and gas. So why would he get that spot on the board in Burisma? Unless it was just because when he got that spot, his dad was vice president of the United States. There's a lot of stuff we've got to get into today, but I'm going to start with this one very important thing, and we're going to do it at the top of the show because I want to make sure we get this in before we get in the other stuff. What's happening today that's really important to all of you? The President of the United States is expected to announce a student loan forgiveness program. Student loan forgiveness. Now, let me give you the details, and then I'm going to give you my opinion. We're going to foot... I have no idea what this is. Please forgive me for that. I did not turn my sound off. Uh, during the show, we get constant phone calls, as you can imagine. And so when we set that, set everything up, our toll-free line, um, we have to mute everything in the studio, and I forgot to mute one spot. Anyway, President Biden is going to spend about $300 billion, $300 billion more dollars, and this is for that student loan forgiveness program. Now, here's how they tell us it's going to work. It's going to be a one-time maximum debt forgiveness of $10,000 for borrowers who make less than $125,000. And you add it all up across the nation when you put all that category there and who's in it. It's going to come up to about $300 billion. The precise details of the plan were being kept in an unusually small circle within the Biden administration because they don't want anybody to know about it in advance so they won't be facing a bunch of questions when they roll it out today. It could cost $900 billion. $900 billion, and it's probably going to favor top earners in the nation. Progressives and liberals have hounded the president to provide even broader relief to hard-hit borrowers. While moderates and Republicans have questioned the fairness of any widespread forgiveness, the nationwide student loan debt now tops $1.6 trillion after it ballooned for years. More than 43 million Americans have federal student debt as of this morning, while almost a third owing less than $10,000, more than half 
owing less than $20,000. That's according to the latest federal data. Now, let me blow your mind here. Do you know eight years ago, nine, ten years ago, I don't even remember when it happened, but student debt nationwide was between the students, their parents, and a bunch of different various institutions, banking institutions, that all every big bank had a plan for student loan debt. And they processed and worked for all of the borrowers working with them to ensure payback to them. These are private entities. Joe Biden and Barack Obama, without congressional involvement at all, they just decided, hey, the federal government is going to take over management nationwide of the student loan situation top to bottom. And how do you think it made these uh, banking institutions feel? Well, they all felt good. You know why? They had to pay off the loans that were outstanding or assume the liability for those loans. And these private entities, these banks, didn't have to worry about it anymore. Federal government. Now, with that one little detail, you and I have stepped in and it could cost us $900 billion on this go-around, and there will be more. And the United States government, because of Joe Biden and Barack Obama, are the ones that put us in the bullseye of liability. And let me tell you what is uh, not even being talked about today. Who is not getting paid in this plan Joe Biden's going to roll out today. Well, let me tell you, it's for people, people that are getting paid here. They're in families that make $125,000 a year or less. But how does that rate when you figure the income levels of all Americans? It means that the wealthy people, the lower end of the top financial class, You know, those middle-class people up at the top? That's where this is going to start, this $10,000 forgiveness. And it's not going to help minority communities. Why is that? Most members of the minority community, they either go to business school or when they get out of high school, they get into the marketplace and they begin to work. They don't go to college. A huge percentage of white Americans much more greater than black, Hispanic, Asian don't go to college. $10,000, hmm, that would mean a lot to these families, would it? They're not getting anything out of this. And let me just tell you this, all three of my kids went to college. Nobody paid $10,000 to me for each one of them. It is so egregious and unfair. And it's not to help out these families. Forget about that. Get that thought out of your head. It has nothing to do with the people that owe this money. It has to do with one thing and one thing only. Joe Biden is getting his butt kicked in the run-up to 2024. His fellow Democrats that are running for election in Congress in a few weeks are getting their butt kicks, Democrats are, across the nation. He's spending what will probably end up being 
$900 billion. He's spending that. It's not his money. It's our money. And it's not for all Americans. It's not to help even the majority of Americans. It's a slim sliver of people that Joe Biden declared he was going to champion and lift them up and give them a better life by making all of the deals equal. And then he comes out and does this. He's buying votes. That's all this is for. He's buying votes. He wants to look like he's the champion for the middle class in America. Forget about African Americans. Forget about Hispanics. Forget about these immigrants that bust their butts doing the right thing to get a shot at a better life in the United States. Forget about them. They're not getting any help from the government. But people, he will tell as he campaigns, look what we did for you. Those evil Republicans wouldn't do it. So I did it. I did it bypassing Congress. You know that that house in the government that is solely responsible, according to the Constitution, for all spending policies of the federal government. They went around that, and I am going to do it by myself. What does that sound like to you? What other nations on the planet do this every day? This is what socialism is about. This is what totalitarianism is about, where the government doesn't listen to the people. It doesn't have to. It takes authoritarian rule and takes responsibility and full authority for doing everything, especially deciding where federal tax dollars are spent. And so Joe Biden is thumbing his nose at the African-American community in the United States and, by the way, the Hispanic community in the United States. And he's helping people that will give him campaign contributions because they can afford it. Maybe not a lot, but they can afford it. Most African-American families cannot. Most Hispanic families cannot. So Joe Biden is taking money out of your pocket and he's giving these people, these homes, $10,000 basically in cash by picking up their student loans and saying, don't worry about it. Uncle Joe paid off your student loan debt. Doesn't that sound a little fishy? (laughs) It, it, It does to me. It really does to me. That's number one on the index of what we're going to talk about today. The 900-pound gorilla in the room now and why it is dominating the news every day 24-7 and keeping the really other important stuff to most Americans out of the news, which is giving Joe Biden a pass. All that crap is still there. We're still struggling. They're still flooding in across the southern border. Gas prices we are told this morning, are about to go up, skyrocket again. Food on the shelves in grocery stores every day, every week, less and less and less. And that that is in the stores is getting more and more and more expensive. Does this administration give a rip about that? They really don't. If they did, they would do something about that. The President of the United States has the power, he tells us, to spend 
$900 billion arbitrarily on a student loan forgiveness deal. What about our distribution and our supply chain crisis? And it is a crisis. They don't want to talk about that. What about the permanent issue in energy for the United States? We now know there is no way it is logically even remotely possible to convert this nation to renewable energy at this time. It can't be done. It's going to take a process, a very well-planned out, factually put-together process, and it will probably need to happen over a 10-year period if that's exactly what the American people want to do. They're not asking the American people what we think about it. You know what? If they ask us what polls say, is polls say, wait a minute, don't go down that road. We can't do that. The middle class in America and people in the poorer class can't afford to go down that renewable staircase. They want us to go down, run down. We can't afford to do it. The federal government can't afford to do it. But what and why would they still be pushing so hard for this? You know why? The federal government wants to have complete control of the energy sector in the United States of America, at least to be able to put out all the rules, the yeses and nos, and no, you can't do that, to take all of the power and authority from the people of the United States. They're not asking us about it, are they? They're just doing it. That's the definition of totalitarianism. Let's move on. We've got a lot of things to talk about. This Mar-a-Lago case, a federal judge yesterday ordered the former president to provide even more evidence in his bid to get back those materials that were seized by the FBI. Trump filed a motion on Monday asking the court to appoint an independent party to separate privileged items, those that belong to the governor, uh, the governor, the, doesn't belong to the government, it belonged to the, the uh, president of the United States, remove those, separate them out from the collection that was taken, and he wants the judge to order the government to provide a more detailed inventory list of what they took and to have any items outside the scope of the search warrant return. The filing raised some concerns about Trump's constitutional rights being violated. And it said, a special master, that's a term I've never heard used before, but this is a person that is typically a retired judge, should be appointed an independent person to ensure the government did not receive privileged materials. Constitutionally, they don't have the right to take those things. Because of how the DOJ and FBI have treated Trump, the department can't be trusted to properly handle the items. That's in Trump's filing. And it was worded this way. We need an impartial, that means not Republican, not Democrat, impartial special master to go in there, take a look at what they seized, give back to the former president what is rightfully his, things that are clearly declassified, things that are also privileged attorney-client privilege from when he was in the White House, things that should have never been seized. Now let me go back and let's talk for a second about the framework of this raid on Mar-a-Lago. We were told there were a couple of dozen FBI agents that went there. They lied about that, folks. 
They lied about it. They sent an army in there. They sent Navy people in there, intelligence people, by boat. They had helicopters flying overhead and then trucks and black ops vehicles parked all along the street. They wanted to make this an event to make it look like Trump is an illegal operator and he's got to be taken down. Does that sound a little familiar to you? Why wouldn't they tell us about all this stuff? Why wouldn't the New York Times, why wouldn't MSNBC and CNN, why wouldn't they have their cameras out there filming all this stuff and it being all over the news? You know why? All of these network heads are realizing what's going on and they're getting a little concerned about it. Why is that? Because the first thing a totalitarian and authoritarian government does when they come in is they attack and take over the media 100%. In history, that's every time it's happened where a democratic or even a socialist light country is taken over by a dictator, the first target is the media. They have to control the narrative. And up until now, it's been a pretty even relationship between Joe Biden and the press. It's very similar to the way it was the eight years of Barack Obama as president, Joe Biden as vice president. It's assumed that the left media, the mainstream media, the legacy media, whatever you want to call them, they're in the tank for all of the leftist candidates that are running, Democrats that are in office, and they're going to report all of the negative things about any conservative out there, and especially Donald Trump. They're not talking about all of the egregious things that happened in this raid, the unconstitutional things that happened in this raid. Any time and every time a judge gives a warrant for a search like this, the warrant itself is extremely detailed what is expected to be there, and those are the things that the warrant says they can go after. If they go in there and there's other stuff, according to the Constitution, they don't have the authority to take it. And so what happens to safeguard this thing in every other instance? They create a detailed inventory with either the person that the warrant is the object of or someone that is authorized to represent that person goes along and make sure that what goes on that list of things that are taken is actually a list of things that were taken and that they didn't take things that weren't specifically authorized for them to take in the warrant. That's a constitutional thing, and they didn't do it. They would not allow any any of Trump's people to go along and even look at what the FBI was doing. They wouldn't let them in. They didn't let them participate in the search. And when they handed them the inventory list, what does that say? Here's what we took. How many people do you know today that are cognizant of the world, actually believe the FBI is a bipartisan, nonpartisan entity, that the DOJ is honest? 
we have too much history of the opposite of both of those statements being true. I don't trust the Department of Justice anymore because they again and again prove they're in the tank. Therefore, whoever is a leftist politician, whoever that is in any office, the the the, the foundation of anything they do there is that they're going to rule or they're going to investigate the way that will benefit that person or that entity on the left. There are all kinds of constitutional violations in this search. And so what does the Department of Justice do that very loudly proclaims that they are dishonest in the tank and are not nonpartisan? What did they do? The same thing they did during the Russia collusion, collusion hoax and the two impeachment trials. What do they do? They leak to the press. And the way you can tell it is all of these stories that have come out in the last 24 hours. Oh, look at these things that they found at Trump. There were 300 very highly classified documents that were taken by the president when he left the White House. 300. They speculate about the contents. They don't tell you what the contents exactly are, but they talk about them being extremely secretive, very, very top secret. And there's even the possibility of the discussion of nuclear things that President Trump took from the White House. Why would any president do that? They never give a source. I'm talking about the New York Times the Washington Post, they all picked up on it. And then the other, the drive-bys do, MSNBC, CNN, NBC News, ABC News, CBS News, they all picked it up. And you know, they tell the sources of this information. The Washington Post broke it yesterday. Someone with, someone with factual information says this, and they print it. You got to understand, real journalists don't do that. They don't run a story unless they have the proof in their hands. Then they don't have to say unnamed sources or someone with authority, someone that can't reveal the exact sources or their names Those kind of stories should be made illegal. We should not be running stories about anybody in government that are negative or positive unless we have the facts in our hands from which we write a story. This is Merrick Garland, the guy that hates Republicans because he was not allowed by Republicans in the Senate to be considered to be a Supreme Court justice as he was nominated to be at the end of the Barack Obama second term. Joe Biden, his press secretary, everybody in his administration that had a conversation with the media since the Mar-a-Lago raid happened, every one of them in the tank said, Department of Justice didn't know anything about it. Didn't know anything about it. That's a lie we find out. 
And it just goes on and on and on. We are being governed by an authoritarian president with an authoritarian heading up the Department of Justice, Attorney General Merrick Garland, and also the head of the FBI, Christopher Wray. They're all in the tank. They're not doing their jobs according to the oath of office any of the three took. And you can throw out Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, into the same mode. None of them give a rip about what the Constitution says about any of the things that they're doing or not doing. Doesn't matter. They're in power. They seize power that they didn't have. They started with what the people gave to them in the 2020 election, and then they began to just push a little bit here, push a little bit there, and the American people aren't screaming loud enough, so looky what we've done. That's what's going on up there. Now let me tell you who else is involved in this, looking in the rearview mirror. White House Deputy Counsel Jonathan Sue. He was a busy man, at least when it came to carrying out President Biden's wish to eliminate former President Donald Trump's claims that materials and testimony from his presidency were covered by executive privilege. That would have kept the FBI from even going to Mar-a-Lago. Sue sent letters to former Trump advisor Steve Bannon last October and former advisors Pete Peter Navarro, General Mike Flynn in February, informing them that the incumbent president had waived any claims Trump might have that testimony or evidence they might provide the House January 6th committee was covered by executive privilege. President Biden determined that an assertion of executive privilege is not justified with respect to a set of documents shedding light on events within the White House on and about January 6th. That's Sue writing that letter to Steve Bannon's attorney, Robert Costello, last October 18th. And then in February of this year, a letter to Navarro, Sue wrote this, In light of unique and extraordinary nature of the matters under investigation, President Biden has determined that an assertion of executive privilege is not in the national interest and therefore is not justified. So with all of that going on, by the time spring came along, Sue had also given permission to the National Archives to reject Trump's claims of privilege over documents with classified markings that were being held at Mar-a-Lago so that the FBI could open, listen to this, a criminal investigation of former President Trump. Quote, the counsel to the president has informed me that in light of the particular circumstances presented here, President Biden defers to my determination in consultation with the assistant attorney general for the office of legal counsel regarding whether or not I should uphold the former president's purported protective assertion of executive privilege. That came from acting national archivist, Deborah Seidel Wall. She wrote Trump's lawyers on May 8th. I have therefore decided not to honor the former president's protective claim of privilege. 
Sue's colleagues in the White House Counsel's Office sent similar letters to other aides. That include former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Records shared with Just the News shows all these letters were sent and the exact dates and contents. Now let's go back a bit. In the decade after September 11, you remember those? Think back how far that was. 21 years. 21 years, the anniversary coming up. Sue wouldn't have had that kind of latitude to write the letters that you just heard that he wrote and sent. An executive order that George W. Bush signed on November 1st, 2001 declared back then, 21 years ago almost, that an incumbent president could not overrule a former president's claims to executive privilege over documents from their tenure if the two could not come to an agreement. Here's what it says. If under the standard set forth in Section 4 below, the incumbent president does not concur in the former president's decision to request withholding of the records as privileged, the incumbent president shall so inform the former president and the archivist. This is in a Bush 43 executive order. It continued because the former president independently retains the right to assert constitutionally based privileges, the archivist shall not permit access to the records by a requester unless and until the incumbent president advises the archivist that the former president and the incumbent president agree to authorize access to the records or until so ordered by a final and not appealable court order. And Bush's order added this for emphasis. Absent compelling circumstances, the incumbent president will concur in the privileged decision of the former president. But then what happened? Guess what happened? Barack Obama reversed that about a decade later. Going back to the Watergate and Reagan era guidance that the incumbent president had a final say over past presidents enacted through the National Archivist. In making the determination referred in subsection A of this section, the archivist shall abide by any instructions given him by the incumbent president or his designee unless otherwise directed by a final court order. That was an Obama executive order dated January 21st of 09. The archivist shall notify the incumbent and former presidents of his determination at least 30 days prior to disclosure of the presidential record. Trump never changed that guidance during his presidency, allowing the Biden White House the latitude to waive the privileges of the 45th president in both the January 6th congressional probe and the FBI's criminal investigation of the Mar-a-Lago records. Now, what is this going to do? Biden opened this up. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen. He's not going to be the next president of the United States. Joe Biden won't be. Whether he leaves office early, whether he even runs for re-election, he's not going to be. That means the next guy or woman coming in as president, it will be a Republican, and they will have the right, and they're going to expose 
everything, all of the wrongdoing that we Americans have been watching happening on this president's watch, things that he's instigated, things that he's allowed. And there will be people that are committing felony criminal acts right now that work for you and me. Dozens, hundreds of them every day are going to be exposed. And I promise you, this is going to end up what is happening by Joe Biden's administration right now. It's going to end up at the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is going to do what? They're going to abide what the Constitution says about all of this. And the Constitution does not allow what Biden is doing today. What they did in the Mar-a-Lago raid, it was unconstitutional in every aspect. Nobody in the Biden administration is talking about that. Mainstream media is not talking about that. Donald Trump's rights, once again, by somebody, you know, Obama slash Biden, did it for four years in the Russia collusion story and in the two unconstitutional impeachment processes that a hardcore leftist Congress decided they were going to do. They weren't successful at impeaching Trump or removing him from office, but they were doing everything they could possibly do. Legal, illegal, didn't matter to them, still doesn't today. They're doing anything they can to take Trump out. The Supreme Court hasn't ruled definitively on this issue. Hadn't happened yet. The most famous case involved Nixon It was conducted under an older presidential records law. In that case, the court pierced Nixon's executive privilege, stating the incumbent president's opinion on whether to release the records weighed heavily on the decision, but wasn't absolute. In her May letter to Trump's legal defense team, Wall noted the wiggle room in the court's opinion, saying the Nixon case strongly suggests that a former president may not successfully assert executive privilege against the very executive branch in whose name the privilege is invoked. So in comes Alan Dershowitz. You know who he is. Famous Harvard Law Professor Emeritus. And he's a constitutional expert. He said he believes the Supreme Court today would give former President Trump more deference than Nixon in the aftermath of Watergate, and he encouraged Trump to pursue this legal challenge on that basis. Dershowitz said the idea that a sitting president can somehow waive the executive privilege of a previous president really wrecks executive privilege, which, by the way, is implicit in Article Two of the Constitution. You can't have a privilege which then your political opponent can wave. He asked this. This is what I'm asking. What president would ever seek advice and confide in people around them, like their cabinet members, White House counsel, White House chief of staff? If you knew that when you're defeated for office and you're going to be running again, your opponent can just Say, I waive the privilege. Get it into every single conversation you ever had with anybody. I can't believe that any constitutional scholar would agree with that. Representative Claudia Tinney of New York, a Republican, 
said if the Obama-Biden standard is allowed to stand, Republicans in the future are almost certainly going to seek to pierce the privileges of Obama and Biden when they get control of Congress. If they're able to go and weigh presidential privilege and executive privilege at this point, well, who's to say the next Republican president or presidents coming afterwards couldn't go in and go after, as you say, fast and furious, go after Hunter Biden's laptop, go after everything that Obama did when he was president. The first challenge to the Obama-Biden president may come as soon as this Friday. Peter Navarro's legal team argues in support of a motion in federal court to compel the Justice Department to disclose all of its contacts with Congress and the White House, suggesting those three collaborated to pierce the Trump privilege claims in potential violation of the Constitution's separation of powers. Navarro's legal team argues in its motion that Sue's unsolicited letter to him back in February, two days before he was to testify in Congress, likely didn't happen as a coincidence, and the Biden administration should be forced to disclose its contacts with the Democrat-controlled Congress on this matter. It was improper for Biden to attempt to influence the DOJ's prosecutorial discretion regarding individuals who fail to comply with select committee subpoenas. This is in Navarro's lawyer's filing. It is entirely possible that political appointees or others at the department interpreted President Biden's statement as a directive to prosecute. And of course, the DOJ scoffed at the notion and has told the court it has no responsive documents that show contacts between the various players but the judge has allowed the argument to proceed to a hearing. This is not over. Believe me, this is not over. It's just getting started, and it's a war. Now, what the Democrats are praying for, and I guarantee you praying is the operational word. They're getting up every morning and getting on their knees praying, God, don't let the Supreme Court get in the middle of this. We've got to have this out there up until and after the midterm elections. If we get back to the American people looking at things like rampant, rampant, out-of-the-box, record inflation, looking at the prices of everything going up and the scarcity of things, looking at all these illegals, tens of thousands have come over illegally in the last 30 days. Tens of thousands. And this president is opening the gate and his... Borders are, who happens to be the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. He's encouraging these illegals to come, and he's stopping. Alejandro Mayorkas is stopping the constitutional privileges and the law that has been written that regulates immigration. There's so much lawlessness in this administration, I don't think we'll ever be able to get it all exposed. Hopefully, some of it, if not all of it, will be. So where are we going this morning? Obviously, the first half hour plus, we talked about this mess at Mar-a-Lago. There's more to it, much more to it. Stuff coming out every hour. And we've got more new stuff right after this. 
Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee fi fo foam. I smell the. I, I smell uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels in a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Telling the truth, the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Again, here's Dan. Boy, that is that right on. They don't want us to know the truth. They want us to listen. So they're trying to have the loudest microphone in the world to drown out everybody out there. People like us that are presenting truths. I got to be honest with you, folks. Let me tell you how important this is. Listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. This is going to explode. This being all of what we're talking about at the top of the show today. It's going to explode. This is kind of like, you know, the big war. The cowboys and Indians get together. And we've got all the tribes that are unified on one side. You've got all the other cowboys, different versions of them. And they all get together and they come to one big confrontation and battle. And there's a bloodletting. Anything goes. It may not be physically that. But on a political stage, this is going to be the biggest and the nastiest thing that you and I have ever seen in politics. I promise you. And it's coming to a head. And the timing, it's, it, 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 it's just amazing what the timing is. Why is that? It's all targeted at the midterms. You watch how between now and the election in November, you watch how the Democrats ratchet it up. The attacks are going to be greater and greater. They want the midterm elections to turn not on Democrat Party policies, not on Joe Biden and all of his crap that's going on right now, 
Nothing about what's happening to the American people financially. Nothing about what's going on in the checks, not checks, but wire transfers from the Biden administration to Ukraine. Not on the fact that Joe Biden has taken six billion barrels of oil out of our strategic petroleum reserve that is reserved for times kind of like this, for when we have hurricanes or we go to war or we have floods, massive floods. It's for the American people. He sold six million barrels of oil to China. Why would he do that? You and I both know the answer. They certainly don't want us talking about that, that Joe Biden is obligated to Xi Jinping. Maybe not because of anything Joe Biden has said or done, but at least for what Hunter Biden has done, and Xi Jinping has got the ability to blackmail this president. So does Vladimir Putin. I'm telling you, folks, our government, the guy at the top, is up to his eyeballs and obligations to foreign countries and foreign leaders. And you and I, are paying the price. Do you have facts, Dan? All I have are the same ones you see and look at. But when it quacks and it waddles, it's a duck. And the love of money is the root of all evil. Who's got the money in this? Well, Joe Biden made less than $200,000 a year as vice president. He made even less than that as a U.S. senator. He's got five homes. Several of them are big beach homes. You and I are paying for a half a million dollar wall around one of them in the name of security for the president. And of course, he'll become the former president at some point, but we're going to provide secret service for him and his family until they die. Billions of dollars going through the hands of Joe Biden. And that's how he got the nickname, folks. Quid pro quo Joe. Everything he does is payback. So how is that playing out in the Mar-a-Lago raid? You want to hear some more facts about that? Joining us now, Pam Bondi is with us uh, for commentary as well as Fox News legal analyst Greg Jarrett. Pam, your take on all of this. Sean, having personally, as a prosecutor for 18 years, signed thousands of subpoenas, thousands. Many times, people don't comply. So what do you do? You either issue a new subpoena or you do a motion to compel. Why wasn't that done in this case? The Trump people were working well with them. Why wasn't that done? That's a question for Merrick Garland. Number two for Merrick Garland, the warrant. Think about the warrant. If you're going to issue a warrant, the reason has to be, I'm worried they're going to destroy evidence. Well, what's suspect about that? We've now learned that warrant was signed on Friday, but not executed until Monday. So why get the warrant? That doesn't even make sense. Number three, I have personally been involved in many, many search warrants, authorizing them, the execution of the search warrants, and they came in there with guns blazing, like you said. For documents, you know what you do? You get a couple agents, you go up, you show the warrant at Mar-a-Lago. They knew the president wasn't there. They knew it was a skeleton crew at Mar-a-Lago. You go in, you go to the safe, you go to the office, you get the documents you need. Done. Yet what did they do? They brought 
They did an execution on land, on sea, by air. They had agents in the water, agents in the air. You may have only seen 30 to 40 there on the ground, but there were hundreds of agents that had to have been weaponized to pull the assault off at Mar-a-Lago that day and that night. Merrick Garland, that's where, that's where tax dollars are going to that. Did you see the massive trucks out there, Sean, lined around? You know why they did that? It was the optics. They thought Donald Trump would look like a common criminal, but it backfired on them. And the American people have seen what they've done, and they are disgusted by this. And he's got a lot more explaining to do. And, and you know, look at this. Look at, look at what they did to Peter, Peter Navarro. Look at what they yeah. did to Manafort. Look at what they did to Roger Stone, who'll join us tonight, Greg. This is now their tactic. They want to harass, intimidate, and send a message to everyone else. Don't mess with us. We're all powerful, almighty. And the double standard, the dual system of justice couldn't be any more clear than it is now. Yeah, I don't question the integrity of the DOJ and the FBI. I criticize the utter lack of integrity and rectitude of Merrick Garland and Christopher Wray. Merrick Garland today unwittingly, stupidly undermined his own argument when he said, oh, our standard practice is to use the least intrusive method. Well, that's called a subpoena. And the FBI did that uh, two months ago. Uh, they were counting on Donald Trump challenging it so that they would then be poised for a raid. Uh, but Trump capitulated. He gave them everything they wanted. So they probably sat back at the DOJ and said, now what are we going to do? Uh, well, they should have issued another subpoena if they wanted more documents. I suspect all of that is left out of uh, the affidavit in support of the FBI warrant to search the premises. And I think they probably snookered this magistrate, who, by the way, is not a regular federal district court judge. Uh, he's appointed by the district court to do the sort of grunt work. Uh, he doesn't have the experience. A real judge would have probably said, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. You're he recused the premises? himself from a case with Hillary Clinton. Yeah, Why didn't he exactly. recuse himself here? Well, These are he dangerous times. His social have... media posts were virulently anti-Trump. Under the law, he's required to recuse himself. But a good judge would have said, wait a minute, why aren't you using a subpoena here? There are a lot of questions about this magistrate himself. And that's the reason why we told you that the Supreme Court's going to be in the middle of this. It's going to happen. It's got to happen. And quite honestly, the sooner the Supreme Court is asked to get into this, and it may come not from Trump and what he has filed, it may come from what Peter Navarro's uh, lawyers have filed. They filed in federal court. And it takes doing that, a federal case, before it can be escalated up to the U.S. Supreme Court. You watch and see what happens. It even gets worse for a week, for an entire week, Everybody in the Biden administration was instructed, you don't even give any inkling that we knew anything about the raid. The White House was not involved at all. Prove now, that's a lie. Let us bring in Fox News contributor and former Wisconsin Congressman Sean Duffy. Sean, in light of that report, how the heck in the White House, Joe Biden claimed they knew nothing about this raid and the information that led up to it. Well, we all know that, as the White House was saying, hey, listen, we knew nothing about the raid. 
all of us knew that that didn't pass the smell test. Of course they were going to know that if the FBI and the DOJ are going to raid a former president's home, this is highly political. It's never happened before. And Joe Biden and his allies in the White House are, of course, going to sign off on it. So, um, again, I think this new revelation indicates, of, of course, he was involved. Of course, they knew. Um, and, again, you can't lie to the American people. Or well, he, can. he can, but we're going to find yeah. out, right? <laughs> you can, but we'll find out. Uh, the National Archives discovered apparently more than 700 pages of classified documents at Trump's home in January. And that is now being seen as possible justification for going into Trump's home and raiding it. Is it? Well, Donald Trump says, well, I declassified these documents mm. when I took them with me and I had a standing order. So, no, they weren't. But by the way, you came to my home uh, in June. You took the 700 documents. OK, well, if you thought there were more there, why didn't you just come back down and, and take the rest of the documents yeah. that you thought I had that were, were, were classified? The process actually worked in June. Why wouldn't it work in August? Um, I think this was a predicate to go in and search his whole house. And when you look at the breadth of the warrant, which we've discussed earlier, I mean, it was you can search everywhere for basically anything um, in Trump's home. And so uh, the, the, the way they did this tells me they were looking for something other than classified documents. This was about, you know, whether it was, you know, documents that Trump had that were going to go to a civil suit against the DNC, Hillary Clinton and uh, former FBI employees. Or it could have gone to January 6th, but um, this was such a historic search. The breadth of the warrant um, made no sense just to go back and get some more documents that you say were classified when you could have done what you did in June. Um, why wouldn't you do that in August? Doesn't make sense to me. Sean, there's also this. Uh, it's a Wisconsin school board story. We actually have two, but this one, uh, the Kettle Moraine School Board in Wisconsin voted in favor of banning all religious and political symbols in classrooms. That includes gay pride flags, uh, Black Lives Matter flags, and we back the badge signs. Um, so it kind of cuts both ways, this one. And some people are saying, well, that may be good, but also if you ban all political and religious symbols, how far does it go? Can we say, in God we trust, and, you know, there are other things that could be perceived as political that a lot of parents think are good. So what do you think about this? Well, liberals would say the American flag is political as well, and therefore that should not be in the classroom, right? I mean, that's, it could go that far to your point, Carly. Um, but, you know, I think what we've seen is, of course, many of us would like religious symbols uh, in the classroom. And by the way, they're historic symbols as well. Um, but I think that you, you're seeing a lot of woke uh, leftist teachers come out of the teacher colleges and they want to bring in the themes of gay pride or BLM and they push those themes on the students. And I think the school boards and the parents saw what was happening and said, you know what, we got to get rid of all of this. And you can't just say gay pride and BLM. We want to get rid of all these symbols. Let's teach math, science, English to children, um, and leave these other themes out of the classroom. And again, I think this probably makes sense, um, seeing how woke our schools and teachers have become, just to get rid of all of it and let them go back, go back to the basics. Uh, but speaking of woke, let's go to Wauwatosa, <sighs> school board there voting to teach kindergartners body part names, second graders gender stereotypes, third graders about transgender students, consent and body image, sixth graders learning about different types of sexual activity, sixth grade, and high schoolers will be taught warning signs of abusive relationships and contraception.
Sean, why the heck is any of this stuff being taught in school in the first place when they should be learning math and science? I will step in here and tell you the reason I left that particular segment tied together with what's going on in Mar-a-Lago and what's going on at the DOJ. It illustrates the fact that the rule of law, the United States Constitution, and federally passed laws in the United States Congress don't matter anymore to this administration, to this Department of Justice. It doesn't matter anymore. In fact, folks, we have a story that we're going to publish tomorrow at truthnewsnet.org that reveals that the FBI is today and has been monitoring the telephone calls of millions of Americans and has been doing so illegally with impunity. All this stuff, this wokeness that's coming from the top on down, all of that stuff, it does not meet the muster of the standard that's set for us in the United States Constitution. This administration is going so far left We, if we ever get it stopped now, the conservatives, even the moderates in the nation, will never be able to get it back to where we are today and where we have been when we knew government was then and should still be government of the people, government by the people, and government for the people. Marco Rubio, you know him as the senator from Florida, He's an Hispanic. His family, legal immigrants. Senator Rubio, he knows firsthand exactly what's going on and what the Biden administration has become. Look, I'm here in a very unique position in South Florida, surrounded by people that come from countries where this is familiar to them. This is shocking to Americans. But in Latin America and many of these you know, countries around the world, here's what happens. A group takes power. One of the first things that group does is they begin to persecute and go after their political opponents. And then when the supporters of their political opponents begin to complain about it, they begin to target them and they criminalize opposition. And that's what's happening here now. They took power. They are demanding. And you see it on Twitter. You see their public statements. They are demanding. They want Donald Trump arrested. They want him charged right now. They wanted him charged months ago, years ago. They wanted him charged. And I'm telling you the next thing you're going to see here, Sean, because it's the playbook. And that is... They are now going to begin to say, oh, these Trump supporters, these Republicans, they're very upset. They're saying very angry things. We think they might be a threat. We think they're radical extremists. Let's start arresting them. You're going, the next step in this process is going to be that people who are supporters of Donald Trump's or just conservatives complaining about this are going to begin to get harassed by, are going to begin to get labeled as potential insurrectionists and are going to begin to get harassed uh, by law enforcement. That's the next step in this playbook, sadly. We are just seeing the beginning of this. We're far from being over. We're far from being through it. In fact, there's no way we'll get through it until somebody, a leader, steps up and says enough is enough and comes up with some kind of plan, legitimate legal plan, to tackle this and get this reversed, to get it turned around. And I'm not talking about letting somebody off. I'm not talking about what this Department of Justice is doing across the nation where they now are going light on criminals. They're avoiding the circumstances that are put into criminal laws regarding p- 
punishment for wrongdoers under the law, they're thumbing their noses at that. I mean all across the nation. They have no authority to not enforce the laws. Period. You just heard Marco Rubio describe this this whole process. It's happening across the Caribbean, South America, Central America. Governments operate this way, the exact way the Biden administration is operating. On the way to break, I want you to listen to just a little Oh, this is not even 30 seconds of our buddy, Senator John Kerry, excuse me, John Kennedy, about President Biden. It's a real quickie. Listen closely. A majority of Americans think that President Biden is too old. They think he's kind of like an old Buick. You know, some days he starts and and other days he doesn't. The creepy banjo kid in deliverance is more popular than the president at the moment. (laughs) The definition of a recession is whatever is in the teleprompter. The president is about as popular as cholera. (laughs) Boy, I could spend an hour on that. (laughs) Oh, John Kerry, John Kerry. I said he was Kerry, it's John Kennedy. He is uh, an orator, there is no question about it. And I've got something I wanna share with you coming out of this break we're going into. It's an explanation, I think, of the role that Donald Trump seems to be playing here in the nation. And what I'm going to tell you, it'll shock some of you, but some of you will go, you know what? That makes sense. Huh, what could I possibly be going to tell you? Find out on the other side. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Woo-woo! Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Yeah. Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well trained? or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified. That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day. Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you.
James Posey, longtime listener at TNN Live. Um, during that last segment, he sent me a couple of texts, and he is uh, he's labeling the president. President Biden is a selfish, idiotic, low-down belligerent, self-assuming piece of a man, a snake in the grass. <laughs> That's one man's opinion. <laughs> but there are a bunch of people that share James Posey's opinion, I promise you that. So what is this nugget of wisdom, of knowledge that I told you we'd share after the break? I want you to listen closely. I'm a Christian. I believe strongly that the Bible is God's chosen word. I really do believe that. And I believe it is a great um, structure for us to do everything we can to live in the tenets of it. I believe in eternal life. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe his miraculous birth. I believe after he was crucified, three days later, he rose from the grave. And I believe he's in heaven. And I believe the Bible. And I believe it because it's changed me. Now, I'm not going down that road any further. I just wanted to give you that information so that you understand where I'm coming from when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. There is one character in the Bible, just one, 66 different books that were written over, gosh, I don't know, hundreds of years. There's one character, and this character is in every book, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Who is that character? Well, it's not Jesus. Jesus is mentioned in certain ways, kind of veiled through the Old Testament books. But there's one guy that there's reference to from the beginning to the end. And who was that? David, King David. Now, why is that? King David is given credit for writing most of the Psalms. He was a song guy. He was a music guy. He was a poet. And everybody that I've heard my entire life, and I'm 69 years old, I've lived a long life, and I've been in church since like a couple of weeks after I was born. I know the Bible very well, and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I read it. I study it through the years, and I get a lot of thoughts from the Bible, good ones. And it's helped keep me on the narrow path that I've been on, even though I've messed up in my life a few times. Nothing traumatic, thank God for that. Literally, thank God for that. But why would God say, David is a man after my own heart? He didn't say it about any of the other champions, the Christian champions through the Bible. None of the power guys like Moses, King Moses. Not Paul the Apostle, not Peter. David was a man after God's own heart. Now, David wasn't a perfect guy. If you remember correctly, when he was king, you remember he was up on the top of the one of the roofs at the, uh, the castle, and he looked across at the next-door neighbor's roof, and the next-door neighbor's wife was taking a bath in a tub on their roof, and David watched her. And he thought, my goodness, that's a fox. I got to have her. And so he went, I mean, he went the distance. They fell in love. He got her pregnant. But she was still married and married to one of the generals in David's army. 
So what was going to the what was David the king going to do? He sent her husband, this general, to the front in a war, and he knew if he did it, this guy would be killed, and that's exactly what happened. David tried to justify what he did. Now, why am I telling you that story? It's to make you understand that he wasn't a perfect guy. But he prayed a lot, David did, through his lifetime, even from when he was a boy until he was an old man. He and God had a great relationship, but he still was a flawed man, and he had his next-door neighbor had him killed so he could have his wife. That's kind of a spooky thing. Why would God call him a man after his own heart? Throughout my entire life, I was told because he prayed all the time, because he was close to God. God spoke to him. He was a poet, a songwriter, all those kind of things. That's why he did it. That's not why he did it. Let me tell you where we found out why David was the only man in the Bible that God said was after his own heart. In other words, he was closer to God than any other man in the Bible. It was illustrated, you remember the story of Goliath, the giant? The, the army of the children of Israel were camped, and it was like there was a, um, not a river, but a big deep crevice in the ground, and where the Israeli military were camped out directly across this ravine was the Philistine army. And from the Philistine army, there was this giant, Goliath. And every day, Goliath would walk back and forth on the other side of the ravine, calling out King Saul, the army of Israel, anybody, come over here. I'm going to fight you. It'll just be you and me. No other people in the Philistine army or the Israeli army has to die. You come over here, I'm going to kill you. Come on over here. Well, King Saul, he personally wasn't going to be the guy. He wouldn't go. There was nobody in his army, the whole army of Israel, that would agree and go across and fight this giant. So David's father, David was much younger. His three brothers, his three older brothers, were in the army. And so David's father, he wanted to find out how the boys were doing. So he sent David with food to give to his brothers, but he really sent them to find out if they were okay. So David shows up in the camp and he's walking around looking for his brothers and he hears this giant screaming, what he was screaming, Goliath. And he looked around, David looked around, nobody was even responding. So as he was walking through the camp looking for his brothers, he ran across the tent of the king, Saul. David went in and he told the king, King, I'll go kill this giant. And the king looked at him and said, you're just a little shepherd boy. What makes you think you have the power to go over there and fight a giant? You'll get slaughtered. And David said, I serve a mighty God. And let me tell you what my God has given me the power to do through the years when I was out in the desert taking care of my father's sheep. When I was out there one day, a lion came in and was going to steal one of my sheep. I didn't want that to happen. And so I prayed for strength. And all of a sudden, I felt this strength come across me, and I killed that lion with my bare hands. I didn't do that. 
God in me did that. And the king said, wow, that's pretty cool. And David said, wait a minute, King Saul, it happened again. A bear came later to do the same thing the lion wanted to do. I killed the bear with my bare hands. I can take this guy because God will give me the strength to do it. And the rest is history. David went over and did just that. He beat Goliath and cut his head off. That act is why God called David a man after his own heart. Because when the chips were down, when things were down, when the leaders were going the wrong way and not leading, they were actually governing by fear, governing by guessing what to do, not having the knowledge, not having the fortitude, not having the mental and the physical commitment to do whatever it took to beat whatever the foe was at the time. Now put that circumstance over where we are in the United States of America today. Where's David? Where is King David, who wasn't king at the time? He was a shepherd boy, nondescript, not a military guy at all, wasn't trained to be a giant killer, but he believed in the people of Israel. He believed in the power of God, and he knew that he could kill the giant because God would help him because that was the right thing to do. Now I'm going to blow some of your minds. Right now, there is a King David in the United States of America, and it's not Joe Biden. It's not anybody in the Biden administration. It's not anybody in Congress. There is so much wrong out there, so much evil out there. Look at what's happening at our southern border. 4,000 immigrants, illegals, came across our border yesterday. 4,000. We have thousands of Border Patrol agents across the southern border. They took an oath of office. They were hired. They, They didn't swear an oath because they were elected. They signed an oath that said they would help enforce immigration laws that are passed by Congress and did so by the tenets of the Constitution of the United States. They did that, including their boss, Homeland Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. They're all doing what those Israeli soldiers and King Saul did. And it didn't just happen in this administration. It happened in two of them back the Obama-Biden administration, same thing. Nobody would stand up against the monster, against the giant. And I'm not pointing a finger and saying Joe Biden is a monster or Goliath. Not at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the evil piled up in the United States of America, specifically piled up in Washington, D.C., that is Goliath. All of the illegal activity that's being, it's just being handed out. Nobody's even thinking, this is illegal, we can't do it. Nobody's holding these people accountable by the rule of law. Congress can't do it. Well, they could, but we have a bunch of Israeli soldiers that are led by a feckless female 
that refuses to hold, according to the power of the Constitution, that should be done, the President of the United States, Joe Biden, accountable for allowing on his watch all of this unconstitutional activity to be done and to be instigated by people that work for the President at his behest. The only person in this nation that has taken the opportunity to forget about all of the negative fallout that might happen, but step up and say, I'll go kill the giant. The giant the U.S. faces is not a literal living, breathing person. It is a huge raft of evil that has been allowed to come into our nation and take over our government. That one man is Donald Trump. You want to be somebody that anybody's going to say, hey, that man, that woman, they have God's heart. You want to do that? Do the right thing. In every circumstance, in every instance, that you face in your life, do the right thing. Not every once in a while. Don't skip a time or two. Do it every time. Don't accept less than what's right. Don't do anything that's less than what should be done. Don't break any law. There's a pattern by which we all live. You have it in your life. I have it in my life. Some of it is common to you and me, but some of it is individual for you and individual for me. In every case, do the right thing. Don't cheat. Don't stop doing what you're supposed to do. Finish what you're supposed to do in every case. And verbalize your commitment to justice and righteousness and doing the right thing to those around you it will make a huge difference in your life. David was a man after God's own heart because when the evil stood in his face, he went to war on whatever that evil was each and every time. There's only one man that's done that in my lifetime. Well, there are two. In many respects, Ronald Reagan did. Donald Trump did it, and he's still doing it. And as long as he does it, I promise you, on the other side of this, there are going to be good things for him and good things for the people he is doing this for. And the reason he's under such egregious, unconstitutional, and evil attacks, because he's doing the right thing, he's been doing it, he wants it to continue, and he wants to get to the top so he can bring back to us what we saw during his four years as president and take it up even a notch further if we can get a majority in at least the House of Representatives, but hopefully in the Senate as well. You got that free. <laughs> it's been burning in my heart for some time. And I had to share it.
and I can't think of any other place I would rather share it than with you. I told you a little while ago that gas prices are about to take off again. So despite they've fallen to their lowest levels in weeks this month, we likely will face another spike at the pump between now and the end of the year because of resiliently high demand in the holiday season as global oil supplies continue to fall. And this is coming from Bank of America's Economist. U.S. gas prices, they've fallen to $3.90 a gallon. I paid $3.09 a gallon yesterday at Sam's. Drivers are now benefiting from gas prices that are a buck eleven, a dollar eleven cents less than their peak in mid-June. A recent study released by the Bank of America said the same factors that led U.S. gas prices to surge more than $5 a gallon in June and July will soon lead to them reaching bottom before finally spiking in the fourth quarter. The drop in gas prices is credited for a slowdown in our inflation rates in July when the consumer price index rose 8.5% year over year, lower than had been expected. That puts significant downward pressure on the index, which was hit with skyrocketing energy prices in the first half of 2022. Now, put all this in common language, Dad. Well, gas prices are going to go up. What does that mean? You won't have money that you need and had been spending on other things. So it's not an even economy that we have now. We've got these little spikes across the sector, the economical sector, and that keeps, it's not just, they can't happen in a vacuum. When prices go up over here, availability goes down, Less is being purchased over here because people got to have gasoline. It's take money out of one pocket and stick it in another. You don't have more money because things cost more money, so you have to buy less. It's the picture of inflation. And we're on the bubble, not of inflation. And I don't even want to say it, but others are already saying it. The possibility of depression, another depression possible in the United States of America. Man, let's pray that doesn't happen. I've heard the stories in history. I'm sure you probably have too, most of you that are my age. You've heard the stories of what horrors were being instigated across the nation during the Depression back in the late 20s and 30s. It was tough. We don't want to go back there. We don't have to. If leadership gets straight, we'll be able to handle it and get things done. We've got some election stuff to talk to you about, some important election stuff that you need to know about going into the second half of your week. J.D. Vance up in Ohio, he's making a run that's looking pretty darn good for the U.S. Senate. That and more on the other side. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman.
Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season. Uh, I have a list. When he turns into uh, Santa. A venti, iced white mocha, triple shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks uh, Philippines uh, planner. Grande toffee nut latte. It's made by Moleskin. Wow, right? Venti, green tea, cream, frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. No, it's for my wife. I, I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines planner by Moleskin. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. Hello? Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah, uh, the instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolutely... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coach. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes, and others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Speaking the truth for justice and the American way, Dan Newman. That's some pretty royal music there. Justice, truth, the American way. God help us get back to that. You know, everything never has been perfect in this nation. And it's foolish to think that it ever will be perfect in this nation. But what we had was we had the rule of law, even treatment of most people. Yeah, we had issues top to bottom. And we'll always have issues top to bottom. But the difference between this nation and the totalitarian nations around the country, around the world, are pretty much narrowed down to one little bit of information about them. And that is here we did have for a long time, for 250 years, we had government of, by, and for the people. We had the rule of law where everybody was held and held accountable to the same set of laws, and there was always equal justice under the law. I can give you example after example. You don't have the time, nor do I, of instances where that's not what's been happening now. I mean, look at Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's husband, out in Northern Northern California, that wreck that was caused by his inebriation. And he's not being held to the same rule of law that you or I would be under the same circumstances. And we find out as the facts came out, it was a very serious accident and it should be a felony, a criminal felony charge against Paul Pelosi that comes with jail time. It's not equal justice under the law. Other Californians that did the same thing, they'd be in the the cahoot for a while. But just because of political connections, they can get around it. That is not living in the rule of law, equal justice under the law. And there are cases after case that we can point to that show that. 
even more vividly. I promised we'd get to the election stuff, and here we go. Ohio Senate Republican candidate J.D. Vance. He's on top of his Democrat rival, Tim Ryan, who serves now in the U.S. Congress, by seven points. A Carleton polling survey found that Vance leads Ryan 49.7 to 42.4. Given that the margin of error for the poll is 2.5%, that gives Vance a fairly comfortable lead over Tim Ryan. The polling company claimed they had the most accurate Senate internal polling in 2020. The group noted that although voters had a strong recognition of Ryan, many voters soured on him after they found out and looked closer at his voting record. Carleton, the polling entity, also found voters listed inflation and critical race theory as their top issues, and that abortion was number three, but a very distant number three. The American people are tired of all of this stuff, and they want change. They want to live in an atmosphere where they have hope, they have future, they have fairness, they have equality and the same opportunities across the board. We had that for four years. But this administration has just obliterated it. I mean, it's it's gone. I never would have thought. I didn't think that it could happen so quickly. But I mean, it's really happening. And so, looking at other candidates around the nation running in these midterm races, Democrats, folks, They're running ads across the nation that distance themselves from Biden and in some cases are embracing GOP, Republican messaging, Democrat candidates. Wow. They're up close and personal with voters. They're hearing their concerns, these voters firsthand. And this may explain why they don't appear to be buying the new polling results, which includes an NBC News report claiming voters are more concerned about threats to our democracy than they are about putting food on the table. And this is in the middle of a 40-year high inflation and still sky-high gas prices, even if there's been some relief at the pumps this month. John Fetterman, Democrat senator in Pennsylvania, he released an ad blaming inflation on wealthy insiders and the lobbyist in Washington. The truth is, our economy is a mess because of D.C., the rich, the powerful, the insiders, and the lobbyists. They're lying about me. Now, this is candidate, Senate candidate John Fetterman. They're lying about me to take the heat off themselves. It's Washington's fault. They set the rules, weakened our supply chain, and they spiked inflation. Of course, he doesn't bother to explain that Democrats control D.C. lock, stock, and barrel, having the White House in both chambers of Congress. Fox News identified a dozen political ads from across the country that show Democrat candidates are campaigning as being independent of their own party leaders, some even highlighting how they oppose President Biden's agenda. U.S. Representative Dan Kildee, a Democrat in Michigan, He votes with the Biden administration 100% of the time. He released an ad last month, and in it he declares, and this is a quote, I stood up to some in my own party and pushed to cut the gas tax and to hire more police officers. 
these guys are seeing the facts and they're seeing they can't win towing the company line. So despite Democrat officials largely embracing the defund the police movement following the death of George Floyd, now that crime is a big problem in these many, many Democrat-run cities, they suddenly paint themselves, hey, I'm supportive of the same cops that I demonized for months on end. Biden's approval numbers are tanking these Democrats. This is that coattail things. You know, when a presidential race is going on, typically whichever party's member, party's candidate wins the presidency, people in his same party, they get a leg up in their election results. The opposite's true too. Biden is not being very successful. In fact, the opposite is true. He's tanked. His his likability, his leadership, the polls on all of that are lower than ever any other president, any other presidential candidate, any other president in American history. Yeah, he's setting records, isn't he? You know, I told you about that new $3 billion gift that Biden is giving to Ukraine. All this while Americans are grappling with food shortages, inflation, a poor southern border. And this gift comes even as Americans continue to suffer from all of our domestic challenges. Food shortages, folks. Have you heard them even talk about what they're doing to fix food shortages in the White House? I haven't heard them say a thing. Inflation, gas prices, what's going on at the southern border, flooding the country with almost 5 million illegal immigrants. The cash splash funded by you and me, this $3 billion, it comes on Ukraine Independence Day, and it represents the biggest one-time package to date in the six-month-old Ukraine-Russia war, far exceeding the $1 billion delivery earlier this month. This month alone, $4 billion. $4 billion. Where the heck does Joe Biden come up with the fact that that gift and the $13 billion total that he has given to them, that gift is what the American people want to happen. President Biden didn't ask us about it. If he did, he would be told almost unanimously, we can't afford to do that, Mr. President. The Associated Press reports contracts for as many as three types of drones other weapons, ammunition, and equipment will benefit from the funding, the $3 billion, even though it may be a year at least until they see the battlefield. Why would it take that long? You tell me. There's a machine in Ukraine. There's a machine in the Americas. There's a machine in... Central America, South America, wherever the money comes from, when it's top down, it goes through an unknown number of hands before it gets to the people that the money is intended for. Officials told Associated Press this $3 billion will include money for the small hand-launched Puma drones, the longer-endurance Scan Eagle surveillance drones, which are launched by Catapult, and for the first time, the British Vampire Drone System, which can be launched 
from ships. Several officials spoke to the outlet, here we go, on condition of anonymity to discuss the aid before it was released publicly. Now, this new package, we're told, is supposed to reassure Ukrainian officials that the United States intends to keep up its support regardless of the day-to-day battlefield, wins, and setbacks while building on the first direct shipments that arrived in February within days of the Russian invasion. NATO Secretary General Jean Stolenberg noted the most extended focus Tuesday as he reaffirmed the alliance's support for the conflict-torn country. We can't do it by ourselves. Even though the world, across the world, most people look at us as the bank, the go-to. Hey, when the some country in the world needs money, there's the United States of America. They got deep pockets. Deep pockets. Let's get back to um, our southern border problem. I mentioned we had a bunch of flood of, of uh, illegals over the weekend. Del Rio sector border patrol agents stopped 3,500 migrants who illegally crossed the border from Mexico into Texas in the weekend. 3,500. Nearly 1,200 of these crossed in six large group. More than 500 more are reported as gotaways. So 3,500 that came in and we tagged them. We got them, in other words. And 500 more we know were in there. They were seen on drone footage, stuff like that. We knew they were there, but we couldn't catch them. So that's 4,000. 4,000 in one weekend. 3,487 apprehensions. Known gotaways, 2,923. There were three that died in the Rio Grande Valley, and 11 were rescued out of the Rio Grande River. 4,000 in one sector of the government, of, of Texas, the Del Rio sector. It's just numbers now. It doesn't represent people. That's just what we do. Oh, we've got people coming in. We're a big country. we got 300 million people. We're big enough to absorb all of these people that just want to come here to make a better life for themselves and their families. Do it. Come here. We want more than the 1 million that we welcome in every year legally. We want more than that. But we want to sit down at the table with each other and change The immigration laws that Congress passed, we don't think they're fair. So what do we do? We need to get together and change them. Either delete them, edit them, or do away with them. The reason we do that is because that's what the Constitution says that we're going to do. And basically what every one of those 535 members of Congress and every member of the Biden administration, top to the bottom, took an oath of office to support the rule of law and the United States Constitution. We haven't heard, I mean, barely a a blip from Democrat Senator Mark Kelly. He's running for re-election in Arizona. He's repeatedly, by the way, this is Arizona, one of the border states, the border states, California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas, the former astronaut, Senator Mark Kelly, he's repeatedly voted against border security measures and has enabled the Biden border crisis. 
He voted against border security at least three times last year alone. In February of last year, he voted against an amendment that would have kept the Biden administration from being able to cancel existing border wall contracts. In May last year, he voted against border security again, this time voting against an amendment that would have prohibited Biden from canceling border wall contracts for which funds had already been appropriated. Kelly similarly voted against border security again in August. He also voted to end Title 42, which allows the government to suspend entry of immigrants into the U.S. for reasons of public safety. Kelly was previously critical of the Biden administration's plan to end Title 42, saying it's going to be a crisis. And now, of course, it's election time. He's a Democrat. Don't worry about what you did or said before. Americans that like you, they're going to forget about it. Doesn't matter that you changed your policy just to make sure you can get reelected. Kelly's voted for Joe Biden's preferred policies 94% of the time. And just a reminder, since Biden took office, 5 million illegal immigrants have crossed into America, including just under 200,000 who came into the U.S. alone in July of this year. Dan Stein, who's the president of the Federation for American Immigration Reform, he pointed out the severity of the Biden border crosses. Roughly the equivalent of the entire population of Ireland has illegally entered the United States in the time of the Biden administration, since he took office. Kelly's going to face off in November against Republican Senate candidate Blake Masters, who has called the crisis on the border an invasion. He, Masters, is endorsed by Trump. He's also contended that the Democrats push open borders because elites want to destroy this country. Masters' plan for border security includes finishing the wall, opposing amnesty, mandating E-Verify nationally, tripling the size of the Border Patrol. Masters has remarked that we're not going to have a country if we refuse to secure the border. I'll just say, it, the, only, the only way to handle our immigration deal is we need to sit down and work on these immigration laws. But before we do that, close the southern border. Abide by the current rule of law. You do that. In other words, you show us you're going to abide by the law, then we'll come to the bargaining table. If you're not going to do that, there's no reason for us to come. There's nothing we can do or even talk about unless you want to abide by the rule of law. Why should we even have to make that controversial? There's no reason, no justification for doing it. Of course, there are reasons. They just want, they don't want to go do the, through the legal process. They know why they shouldn't or why they don't want to. It's because they know they couldn't get open borders passed. So they don't even want to go down that road and try to redo it. They'll just keep griping about how unfair U.S. immigration laws are. I'm going to switch gears. You know, those, the, the, the topics we've discussed here today, folks, we could spend 24-7 for a while going into all the details, the evidence, the factual wrongdoing, everything that we've touched on today. We could do that every day, and nothing would change. 
The purpose for discussing any and all of this with you is to encourage you to step up, make your voice heard. Drop a memo. Send an email, a text to your lawmakers and get them committed to the rule of law. You know that thing they committed that they would uphold if we elected them and you elected them? Hold their feet to the fire to do what they promised they were going to do. Now, switching gears here, you know John Kerry. John Kerry is Mr. Climatologist, the climate king for the United States of America. Similar capacity as John Kerry. John Kerry. <laughs> our, uh, our tycoon. The guy who runs and has been in government forever, but he runs our healthcare system at every level, Anthony Fauci. Despite what Fauci does, he's pretty much in the same role in our government as is John Kerry. Top level cooperators, officials, uh, experts, whatever you call them. Fauci owned medicine, John Kerry owned climate change. But there's some news today about John Kerry that's really troubling to me. Remember the optics over his family's gas-guzzling private plane and the hypocrisy headlines that followed? Well, now a new scandal may be brewing professionally. Emails shared with Fox News Digital show his office consulted with left-wing environmental groups while crafting U.S. policy. But the documents don't reveal any similar conversations with fossil fuel energy groups or companies Meantime, other emails show a senior official in Kerry's office pushed for a phone meeting on the budget so there would be no paper trail of those discussions. Interesting. Writing, quotes, I would also suggest a call or meeting soon with JK to update him on FY22 and 23 fiscal year, focusing on all the elements <laughs> we can't put on paper. Cheryl, what can they put on paper? Saving the climate is the most important thing in the world. We should all know exactly what is going into this world-saving U.S. policy. Well, I think what's interesting is that we're talking about non-government organizations that are listed in these emails as who they were speaking with. I mean, look, how about talking to the other side? Talk to the energy industry. You villainize them so much. Why don't you ask them what they want to do and how they can fix climate? Maybe they can reduce emissions. Because, look, they're making big efforts to do so. I mean, look, electric vehicles, hate them or not, uh, you know, people are buying them. So let capitalism work here. Instead, you're, and you're going to these non-government organizations in secret. It just looks bad. So what does that tell you about John Kerry and his office? I mean, doesn't it seem like he doesn't really know what he's doing. He wants to be liked by the Sierra Club instead of really trying to inform himself and to Cheryl's point, it come to some consensus with both sides if this is so critically important? If it was such an emergency, and we've been told eight years, 12 years, six months, Greta Thunberg, everything, they would have done everything possible to stop it. But John Kerry and Steven Spielberg, who, by the way, in one month, uses more of a carbon footprint than the average person does in a year, they just don't care. This is a grift. This is an all-out grift. Al Gore proved you could literally take hundreds of millions of dollars, put it into a fund, build a mega mansion, and go on with the grift, and John Kerry just wants his. Yeah. You gotta make sure the yacht's up to speed, the crew's in place, the plane is ready to go, you don't wanna have any problems, maybe the caviar if you need it, and they jet around the world, virtue signaling. Actually, they're lying to the people they actually claim they care about, because for every one of you out there that 
believes in climate change, mm -hmm. guess what? What have you gotten? So, Kat, they also have these emails that went back and forth with senior officials saying, let's keep this off paper. Yes. And when they were discussing the budget, so I want to know, are they like bathing in gasoline secretly? No, this, okay, this, is, this, is, ob this is objectively shady to yeah. write to someone, let's talk on the phone about all that stuff that we want no record of. Yeah. It is. And anybody who would say that it's not, I would ask them, what would you do if you found a text message like that on your spouse's phone? Mm -hmm. What would you do if any Everybody was like, hey, okay, yeah, let's talk on the phone because we don't want any write this in writing. The only reason to say that is because you don't want anyone to be able to see it. So what were you referring to there? Give me an example. I, I can't imagine thinking anything else but that. By the way, thank you. People all over America now are checking their phones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. writing off paper. <laughs> I mean, that's but that's not how government is supposed to operate. No, there are all kinds of federal records acts um, because the, your texts are discoverable on a government device, your email. So if you want to have a conversation about something candidly, you pick up the phone and call. You don't write in an email like, let's pick up the phone to keep this off yeah, the record. Me, that was like a very yeah, you could even just say, let's talk on the phone to do. instead of to keep it out of the record. Right. It's, it's on the record that <laughs> yes. you have to talk on the phone. I mean, I don't understand this person. I'm sure either. the recipient of that email was like, okay, what are you doing, buddy? Um, but I will say, look, talking to special interest groups, that happens all the time. You know, in the Trump government, sure, you're going to talk to special interest groups. Same for the Biden government. This is a left-wing government. They're going to talk to left-wing special interest groups. But to me, it's the degree at which it happens at the CDC with the teachers' unions dictating CDC guidelines, literally suggesting language that is verbatim adopted as if it's like scientific policy by the CDC. That's where the problem comes in. And I'd love to know the degree to which these interest groups crafted policy before the G7. Was it verbatim mm -hmm. language? I'd love to know the answer to that. Yeah, and how much money they have donated to yes. particular causes and campaigns and you know because when that happens and and to your point about the teachers unions they donate to Democrats yeah. so when Democrats are in power they want access to that power to help write laws that are exactly. directly beneficial to them so why wouldn't the Sierra Club do the exact same thing you know and we're seeing billions of dollars go into this you know inflation reduction act which is really a climate bill yeah so obviously those special interest groups they're gonna see the billions yep mm -hmm. right not about it it's all all about quid pro quo, what's in it for me? And if I do this for you, what are you going to do for me? Speaking of something like that, Anthony Fauci announced he's going to resign or he's going to retire at the end of the year, leaving government. Well, Republican leaders in, in uh, the Congress are standing up and they're saying his leaving the government is not going to shield him from an investigation that Republicans in Congress plan to launch very early in 2023, soon as they take the new uh, Congress. Retirement can't shield Dr. Fauci from congressional oversight. That's Representative James Comer of Kentucky, the top Republican on the House Oversight Committee. Fauci announced hours earlier he was going to step down in December, just weeks before Republicans expect to take control of the House the GOP is in the minority now in the lower chamber, but based on historical election patterns, President Joe Biden's lagging approval ratings, party is forecast to flip enough seats to get a majority. In fact, it looks like every day it's going to be a big, big majority in the midterms coming up. That would make a Republican the chair of each committee in the House, likely landing Comer the chair of the oversight committee. 
The GOP has vowed to investigate Fauci. Former National Institutes of Health Director Dr. Francis uh, Collins and other key pandemic-era government officials over the early responses to the pandemic if they take power and they win the House of Representatives. And they've got a lot of bullets in their gun to go after Fauci and Collins. This is going to be an interesting outcome in this upcoming election because there's a lot at stake, a whole lot at stake, and a whole lot will be uncovered if the GOP wins the House and these committees get into looking at all of the egregious activity in the Biden administration. Hey guys, thanks for being here. You have a great, great hunt day. We're back tomorrow, and I know we'll have some more stuff for you 